हेलो वेलकम टू द सेल्फ लर्निंग पॉडकास्ट बाय डॉक्टर सुषमा सिंह लेट अस स्टार्ट डिस्कशन ऑन यूनिट एट कंसेप्चुअल एंड थियोटिकल इश्यूज ऑफ पावर एंड वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग आवर ऑफ टॉपिक थियोटिकल कंसिडरेशंस एंड सब टॉपिक इज कार्ल मार्क्स क्लास एंड पावर Marx 1954 and 1955 is known for his conception of class and class struggle more specifically had he identifies two classes the burgeois or the ruling class and the proletariat or the working class in the capitalist society the basis of the power of the burgeois is control over the capital on the one hand and its hold over the military force and production of ideas in the world of bottomore the line of conflict are most sharply drawn in the modern capitalist society because in such societies the divergence of economic interest appears most clearly unobscured by any personal bonds such as those of feudal society and because development of capitalism brings about a more radical polarization of classes than has existed in any other type of society by its unrivaled concentration of wealth at one extreme of society and of poverty at the other and by its gradual elimination of the intermediate and transitional social strata the proletariat on the other hand seek to increase the capital for the ruling class the relationship between the two classes is one of exploitation in which the ruling class gains at the expense of the wage laborers constituting the proletariat workers produce commodities for the burgeois for which they receive wages the wages are just enough for their subsistence surely there is a vast difference between the value of the commodity the workers produce and the wages that they get this difference appropriated by, by the ruling class the proletariat class is perpetually engaged in struggle over its wages and conditions of work earlier the struggle was disorganized and ineffective modern industry and factory system of production ushered an era of political organization of class struggle the class conscious political organization emerged marx opines that some day the proletariat will overthrow the burgeois and get liberation from the long standing domination and the exploitation now let us move to the next point robert michael the iron law of oligarchy 
Michel believes that the carving for power is inherited in the nature of human being. Those who acquire power seek to perpetuate it. Against this backdrop, he propounds that the democracy calls for organization which leads to oligarchy. The trend towards oligarchic rule in party organizations is better known as the Iron Law of Oligarchy. He agreed that the democratic currents of history often break ever on the same shoal. They are, however, ever renewed. One of the reasons for the renewal of democracy is that oligarchies were felt to be oppressive and were overthrown. Michel insisted that the democratic current will always break the iron law. It may be understood that the large collectivity of people in an organization cannot govern or administer their common affairs. Over the period of time, specialization develops and division of labor evolves. Organizations become increasingly complex. Some people are chosen to represent the masses and execute their will. According to Michel, every organization, however democratic, in the beginning develops an oligarchic character. He was convinced that the masses await leaders to govern them and take care of their concerns. The leaders derive power from the incompetence of the masses. In the domain of public life, the incompetent masses submit to their leaders of whose expertise they are convinced. Oligarchies preserve the stability and longevity of leadership. More importantly, the oppressive conditions in themselves do not lead to unrest. It is awareness of those conditions that generates class struggle. Struggles and revolts are often suppressed. Michel maintains that it is appropriate to ascertain the limits imposed by the oligarchies over individuals. He says that decentralization does not necessarily give away to enhanced liberty in the hands of individuals. Neither does it enhance the power of the rank and file. Usually it serves as a mechanism by which weak leaders seek to get away from the domination of the stronger ones. The weaker leaders, however, may establish a centralized authority within their own domains. One oligarchy gives way to many smaller oligarchies, each powerful in its own sphere. He laid thrust on developing the spirit of free inquiry, criticism and control of the leaders 
among the masses. It may be noted that there are imperative in the process of strengthening democracy. Now, let us move to the next point, Stephen Luke's power and human agency. Luke affirms that all power is attributed to individual or collective human agents. Often, human agents have several options or alternatives before them from which they choose their course of action. Human agents exercise their characteristic powers when they act voluntarily on the basis of wants and benefits, which provide them with reasons for so acting. Such an exercise of power of human agency implies that the agent at the point of action has the power to act otherwise, that is at the least the ability and the opportunity both to act or not to act. It is in his power to do either, there is an openness between the performing or failing to perform the action and there is no set of external circumstances such that in those circumstances the agent will necessarily so act. Two conclusions emerge from this perspective. The one who exercises the power had the option or the alternative to act differently and those on whom the power had the option or the alternative to act differently if power was not exercised over them. Luke's proposition of power accepts that despite the fact that actors operate within the structurally determined limits, they have a certain degree of autonomy and could act in a degree of autonomy and in a different way. In other words, there would be no place for power in a condition of total structural determinism and imposed constraints that determine the options of human essence. He cites the example of an employer who declares some of his workers redundant because he wants to cut costs. In other case, the unofficial government liquidator declares an in insolvent company bankrupt which throws the workers out of work, while the first case is the case of simple exercise of power, the second is not because we assume that the liquidator had no alternatives before him. Luke conclusively says that the social life may be properly understood as a dialectic of power and structure. A web of possibilities for agents to make choices and pursue strategies within given limits. Now, let us wind up the session and take rest. Thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.